Hi there, I'm Jesse Cannon, a record producer and author of the best-selling book on creativity and music. This video is the third in a series on what musicians can learn from the most compelling and interesting people in music today, and a part of a channel where I'm teaching musicians how to promote their music and achieve high levels of musical creativity, which is why I'm discussing Rick Rubin. Since there's no one in music who's a better example of the thoughts that go into making great music and how to promote artists while staying true to their authentic personality. And the proof is in the discography, as he's been called the most important producer of the post-hip-hop era of music. Even if much of that time has been spent in rock, R&B, pop, metal, punk, and country music, in addition to hip-hop. Since who else has been able to make celebrated albums for Run DMC, Slipknot, The Dixie Chicks, Shakira, Danzig, Adele, The Strokes, Public Enemy, Metallica, The Red Hot Chili Peppers, Kanye West, U2, Johnny Cash, The Beastie Boys, Tom Petty, Weezer, Black Sabbath. But look, it'd be stupid to make this video about his biography when countless people have done that over and over and over again. Instead, let's talk about his philosophies and what you can learn from them to make better music. Whether you want to call him a Buddha-like artist whisperer, guru, producer, or music business mogul, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that he's a major force in countless of the classic artists of our time's creativity, and that they turn to him during the times they need guidance. Science continually finds highly creative people are walking contradictions. One of the most common contradictions creative people display is qualities of both introversion and extroversion. They're hard to pin down because their personalities are more complex than others. Many people think of Ruben as one thing, but his genius is in being a person whose strengths are in a multitude of subjects, which allows him to be one of the most exceptional forces in music history. In fact, the way the artists he works with describe him are often contradictions. They describe him as a soft-spoken meditator who is one of the most quotable people in music, but others will talk about his self-assuredness and find the quiet listening he undertakes to be judgy, and his interest in wrestling couldn't be more different from his soft-spoken and quiet demeanor. Some people will call him one of the main culprits of the loudness war, who has ruined music with one of its modern plagues. But upon further inspection, you realize that he's one of the main people making classic-sounding records in music today. They may talk about his fluid rock recordings that don't sound like the rigid click-track cliché of today, but then forget that he's widely known for countless recordings made on drum machines. People will criticize him as not doing as much as a producer as most of his peers, since he isn't the hands-on producer grabbing instruments, writing songs, or even showing up to the full set for each artist, but then other artists will talk about how much he does without it being overly burdensome on their own creativity. Which brings us to talk about what Ruben actually does as a producer. The difference between Ruben and the perceived idea of many producers is that they control every detail of a record, but that's a fallacy. He says, all I've had is an interest in watching things unfold creatively, and that unfolding is being true to keeping the artist's sounds sounding like them instead of imparting his own taste on the project. So as opposed to telling you what you should do and like do this try that it's kind of like the whole less is more and making cookie cutters of his own sound which has plagued so many producers careers over the years as that sound falls out of favor with the masses to achieve this he uses open-ended advice that allows the artists to be themselves creating the environment to allow them to be themselves and feel safe to be themselves without a lot of specificity to let the artists have room to find their own vision the goal here is just to be as much me as possible as someone who's done the majority of their production work being the person who makes the first record that really launches a band's career the musicians at that stage need someone to control and teach but the artists Rick works with have established themselves as having an exceptional vision and he's tasked with just guiding them to get the best answers and lenses along with philosophies to see that vision through Ruben knows when a great artist views their work from the right perspective, amazing things can happen. While he's mocked for sitting in the back of the room on his phone, what he's really doing is viewing
viewing the project from 30,000 feet above instead of being immersed in it. If you are at the level of making a record with Frick, you already got a lot figured out and now you're at the point where all sorts of dilemmas are occurring. The fact is it takes a lot of creating to have the artistic attention span to see every creative decision clearly. What Rick said earlier on, he's like, you know, my job is to help you guys be the best version of you. You hear this in the advice that he gives artists like Vampire Weekend during their latest records recording, where he told the group after a year-long creative rut, the record's not getting better. It may be getting different, though. Or in how in under two weeks he guided Kanye West to his creative achievement of Yeezus by mostly muting tracks that Kanye had exceedingly laid down. When Natalie Maines of the Dixie Chicks talks about working with Rick, she says he lets music be discovered, not manufactured, which is an artful way of describing the origins of great music. Ruben being one of the most successful producers in music history, with an unparalleled track record that spans both unknown acts and established artists across nearly every genre, has an undeniable understanding of how to craft a great song. He says, any commercial considerations get in the way. If you think about music that gets on the radio, you won't be using your own voice in its most potent form. Competing in concern about what others think get in the way of good music. Being in tune with my fandom is all I've been able to do. Instead, he challenges artists to find what's emotionally potent, which will be the best arrow for your emotional bow. The pain in our lives becomes what's forcing itself out of us when it comes time to express ourselves since it's constantly on our mind. The reason the most intense emotions we experience make for the most potent subjects of our music is because they're authentic experiences that motivate a passion that guides us to create. And Ruben challenges musicians to find those to create from instead of the pressures of the surrounding world. He says, there are so many outside distractions, especially if an artist goes from being a kid with no success to all of a sudden having some success. There's baggage that comes with that, which really gets in the way of the creative process. And there are not many people who could support them through that because most people involved tend to have a shorter term view that will not be the best for the artist over the long haul. It's very unusual for someone to have success and then just be able to deal with it. Anything you can do to be more grounded and rooted in yourself is probably a good thing. As people, we're all trying to understand ourselves better. And Taoist philosophy is always trying to find a greater truth. And Ruben's interest in Eastern philosophy is clearly what brings so many greater truths to the people he's working with, showing them what other people can see that they can't see in themselves. But let's talk about one of the biggest criticisms of Ruben, and that he employs outside producers to do the work for him. He has a famous quote that says, if you agree with everyone else you're collaborating with, the rest of the people are redundant. But the idea that Ruben is outsourcing the production is wrong. He finds the best talent around to work with, which has included producers like Rich Costi, Andy Wallace, Dave Sardi, Andrew Sheps, Greg Fiddleman, and a handful of other accomplished producers. Since he's working with the top talent of musicians, he employs the top talent in production to guide them so he can keep an objective perspective, not tarnished by having to hear every creative decision they need to make, and instead hear it once their vision is fulfilled and judge it without the countless counts of bias that happens when you have decision fatigue from a project along with compromised objectivity. This is one of the keys to why Ruben can maintain a high level of quality control on the projects he's involved in. One of the main functions of most artists having a separate mixer and mastering engineer for each project is to maintain objectivity. But when Ruben uses this to keep it during production, it is frowned upon by critics. But he also sees some borders in the process on how to make great records beyond this. He's famous for asking artists to write two and a half records worth of material for each record they release. Meaning if a band wants to make a 12 song record, he wants 30 songs to choose from so he can trim down the material to the best songs an artist is capable of in that time period. He tells it this way, I'm very much of the school of recording more than less, and I always request that artist overwrite. Write as much as possible, and then we can narrow down because you never really know. When he came to working with Black Sabbath, he had to alter his normally 
really high input to get the best output possible, saying they probably wrote more than 20, we probably recorded 16, and there are 8 on the album. You may be thinking that this must be time-consuming, and it is. Ruben views time in a very unique way. His studio Shangri-La contains no clocks. The story goes that the first Beastie Boys record took two years to make. Contrary to what you may assume, the long gestation wasn't caused by them fighting for their rights to party the whole time. Ruben waited until they had a set of songs that sounded like a unique record instead of saying, well, it's been six weeks, and that's it. Time to release it. It was important that the record would be a cohesive work that could bridge the border between rap and rock to change music. He says the things that can't be a factor are time, chart position, radio success, and sales. None of those things can get in the way of something being great. All they do is cloud the picture. Quite contrary to the advice most suits at labels push on artists. Well, this video is getting long, and I'd be reluctant to not talk about Ruben as a figure in the music business. He, of course, founded Def Jam Records and American Recordings. The thing I think influenced Rick the most in the music business is actually wrestling. He's looking for artists that, like the wrestling he enjoyed, have a strong personality to embellish from. If you think of wrestling, there's tons of forgettable people, and those distinct personalities you never forget, even if you only watch wrestling once. His friend Seth Godin, in his book The Purple Cow, talks about this on that if you see a purple cow, you will remember it and talk about it for the rest of your life. Ruben looks for those personalities that are purple cows. And while it's ironic that Rick's journey has gone from enjoying wrestling, possibly the most fake sport of all time, to find the ultimate authenticity in artists where there's no facade while they create, it makes sense we end this video on one last contradiction. Writer Mike Edison wrote about the wrestling concept of kayfabe for the baffler and said this, Professional wrestling is like what Thomas Aquinas said about faith. If you get it, no explanation is necessary. And if you don't, no explanation will do. And kayfabe is maintaining the illusion that everything you are seeing is real. Rick Rubin knows that music only connects with the kernel of truth of emotion, but once it gets to the world, it exists in other terms where you need to present it and play upon it in an exaggerated sense of yourself, and whether that's work with artists like Slipknot and Masks, to his own work talking up the Beastie Boys like they were superheroes, to the unforgettable imagery of his own persona. He gets that the illusion is a piece of the puzzle, but first there needs to be an authentic expression that it must be built from first. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed this video, I highly recommend you get subscribed, as in the coming weeks there's more videos like this on Brian Eno and Charlie XCX, in addition to the ones I've already made on Brockhampton in the 1975. As well as that, I have a whole playlist that's a masterclass on how you promote your music in 2020. I hope you subscribe and get notified in the future. If I missed anything, I'd love to hear about it in the comments, so stop there and tell me what's up. See you in the next video.